The 2023 NFL season is here. I'll preview all the divisions, share my over-under win totals for the year, knockout pick, and who will play in Super Bowl 58 at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas this coming February. I'll take a look at the upcoming weekend in college football. Clemson is donezo for a spot in the college football mix after their lackluster performance on Monday night. The Texas Rangers continue to free fall. Julio Urias may have killed the Dodgers shot to get to a World Series. And now is the time for Coco Goff to win her first Grand Slam tournament. Lots to uncover as there's plenty of sports talk to dive into. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, Castbox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, and I'm sure the football fan is rejoicing at this moment because whatever region of this country or throughout the entire country and maybe even the world, we can all rejoice. The Shield is ready to represent... Let the season begin as we uncover the 2023 NFL year and much more over the course of the next hour as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys back and let's just dive right into it people. No need to just pause or at least let it breathe, no, 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 full steam ahead, Diving in headfirst into this NFL season, and I'm going to start with storylines, because how I feel looking into the season, there isn't a lot, and people can say, Jay Reels, are you off your rocker? And no, I am not. The first one I'm going to go to is how bad the NFC is in comparison to the AFC, and that's no secret. When we look at the NFC teams, and really there are only three that I think could come out of this conference and to a Super Bowl in Las Vegas come February. And people could say, wait a minute, Jay Reels, what about Seattle? Maybe that's a team with Pete Carroll who's been there for a long time. Maybe they could surprise people. Are we really going to go there with the Detroit Lions? No offense, I hope they have a big year. I hope that team really succeeds. They've been at the basement and one of the dregs of the league for such a long time. And last year, they finally broke through a little bit under Coach Dan Campbell. And let's see if they could get off to a great start tonight in a game that I don't really like, even with Travis Kelsey in all likelihood out. And unless Chris Jones signs on the dotted line between now and I would say 5 p.m. later this afternoon or wherever you're listening to this, whenever you're listening to this, chances are the Lions may have a shot to at least be in the game, let alone win it, without those two key components for the Chiefs. But with the Lions, I can't really look at them as a contender in the NFC. Seriously? And there aren't any teams in the NFC South and the rest of the pack in the NFC North. The Giants, I understand they had a big year last year for them, but do they have Super Bowl aspirations? No, it is literally the Niners, Eagles, who both played in the NFC title game last year, and then the Cowboys. And I know people could laugh at that, considering Dak Prescott has not taken his team or really any Cowboy team over the last 26 years of, has gone to an NFC title game. But those are the three teams that could come out of the NFC. Whereas in the AFC, there's a gauntlet. 
You have, obviously, Kansas City, the reigning Super Bowl champ. You have the Bengals, who have been to an AFC title game and, of course, a Super Bowl two years or two seasons prior that could go to the big dance. You have the Buffalo Bills, who have not been able to get over the hump. They've gotten to an AFC championship game, but have regressed since then. Not getting out of the division round the last two years, but we all know the potential that they have. Could the Baltimore Ravens be a team with Odo Beckham Jr. in the fold and Lamar Jackson with his new contract and maybe opening up the offense from a passing standpoint? Can they get to a Super Bowl? We could also look at a team like the LA Chargers with all the potential that they have, especially on the offensive side of the ball, but we know that they're snake bit. Hence the 27-0 lead they had in Jacksonville where they just gagged it in that wild card game last year. But that's a team that maybe could take a step in a stride. What about the Miami Dolphins? I know Tua, the concussions, but we know how loaded they are on offense. Sprinkling a few defensive players and maybe Mike McDaniel will have a recipe for a Dolphin team that if they stay healthy, especially with Tua Tagovailoa, can they make a run in the postseason for the AFC? And then you have a couple of dark horses. When you look at Jacksonville, can they take that leap to maybe get to an AFC title game and beyond? Maybe, but that's a question mark considering the aforementioned teams. Maybe a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers who are kind of laying in the weeds, although some people think that they may regress this year. Regress to what? 7-10? and 10? When we think of regression, we're thinking of them as a team that's probably going to be in the top 10 when it comes to the NFL draft next year. I don't see that, but maybe the Steelers under second-year quarterback Kenny Pickett, maybe they can make a run there in the AFC. So I'm not even including the Jets. I'm not even including maybe the Browns, Deshaun Watson, and what he's able to do as far as trying to get himself back to the way he was with the Texans three, four years ago. And I understand that Cleveland is going to always be Cleveland in a sense where they're not going to be able to get to a position where they could contend or maybe even play for an AFC title game. But there are teams in the AFC that can make some noise. And the reason why I didn't say the Jets is because that is the next storyline when we get into the season. And yes, Hard Knocks was a big focal point here over the last month. And even though I've talked about wanting to watch Hard Knocks, but I couldn't really get into it. I couldn't draw myself to saying, wait, let me start catching up on these episodes. And I get it. People could say, Jay Reels, come on, you're a sports fan. You're a guy that's on top of these things. You're a guy that wants to take the pulse of what's going on with a team or situation and I just couldn't because I live in this town all I hear is about Aaron Rodgers you would think that the Giants don't even play in New York or New Jersey or this tri-state area at all considering that the spotlight has been squarely on the quarterback the head coach and the entire organization for them to finally make it to the postseason for the first time since the 2010 year and maybe even dare I say contend for a Super Bowl And you have to wonder whether or not this team is going to be equipped. Yes, we know the quarterback has a Super Bowl ring. And to think, the last time that the Jets were in the postseason was the last time that the quarterback had won a Super Bowl. And the only time when you think about it. Because that was the year that the Jets played the Steelers in the AFC title game where the Steelers won and went on to play Green Bay who then beat the Steelers in Super Bowl forty-five. So that's how long ago it was for not only the Jets making it into the playoffs, but for Aaron Rodgers getting two and winning a Super Bowl. And this team, as we get into the opening game where they play the Buffalo Bills on a Monday night, the spotlight is going to be all on them and the Bills. And the Bills also need to have a big year considering that they have really not been able to fulfill their quest to get to a Super Bowl considering three seasons ago they had that shootout in Kansas City where they lost in overtime and since then they haven't been able to get out of the division round and therefore represent the AFC in a Super Bowl but back to the Jets this is a huge year for the coach you wonder about the quarterback considering what he did toward the tail end of last year not having a good year for him as far as his standards go And yes, they have weapons. We know the wideouts. We know that Dalvin Cook is in the mix as far as being in the backfield to go along with Brees Hall. So they're loaded there and even loaded on the defensive side where you have Quinton Williams anchoring that 
defensive line. You have C.J. Mosley, who's coming back again. And let's see if he could put forth anything close to what he did in Baltimore several years ago. And then, of course, the secondary, where Sauce Gardner is a guy that could end up being one of the best corners, if not the best corner in the sport, maybe by the end of this season. So all that comes into play on whether or not this team's going to succeed this year. And it's a lot. And we know the Jets have been an organization that, other than the one year that they had in 1968 where they went to Super Bowl three and Joe Willie Namath, the guarantee against the Baltimore Colts who were favored by, what, 18.5 points down in the Orange Bowl and they came out victorious. That has been their one shining moment. And yes, you could sprinkle in a few moments over the years and making it to AFC Championship games, whether that was in 1982 when they lost in the Mud Bowl to the Dolphins, whether that was in 98 where they had a 10-0 lead in Denver before losing to the Broncos who went on to win a Super Bowl that year. And then, of course, the Rex Ryan back-to-back years where they lost to the Colts and the Steelers in that same spot. And ever since then, it's been nothing. So there's a lot of pressure on this organization to succeed. And not just... A 10-7 and seven year and maybe a wild card game, which would be nice. And I know as a Jet fan, you're starving for that. But because of the way the roster has been built and having that Hall of Fame quarterback in the mix, you have to think that this team is divisional round and maybe even championship game or bust. And I get it. It's baby steps. And I get it. You can't go for the whole enchilada the first year you have this team together. It's very unlikely that this team may go to a Super Bowl based on the stout competition there in the AFC. But this team has the talent, certainly has the roster, and not just on the offensive side of the ball, but on the defensive side. And this is not including injuries, which we all know is a part of the game. But this Jet team should be able to do special things based on everything that I talked about. Forget about the hype machine that was Hard Knocks and everything leading and building up to it this point of the season, are really getting up to this week one. But I tell you, with that early schedule that they have, Buffalo, at Dallas, home to New England, home to Kansas City on a Sunday night, at Denver, Philadelphia, they could start off two and four. And although the back end of their schedule is favorable, but it could get ugly around here quick if they do not get off to a good start. So now let me cut to it. Other than that, there aren't any other storylines, people. What am I going to talk about? Can the Chiefs repeat? As it is, Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones may not even be in the lineup tonight. Kelsey, who hyperextended his knee, who could be a game-time decision and is questionable. And Chris Jones, as I said, if he doesn't sign on the dotted line before, I would think, 5 p.m. today, he's not going to suit up and line up for the first defensive play of the Kansas City Chiefs year. And I think that Even if it goes a few weeks with both of those guys out, they'll be relatively fine because the way the division is, I don't think Denver's going to have a big year. I don't think the Raiders are going to have a big year. The Chargers could have a big year, but those are all could-haves or what-ifs. But the Chiefs, as long as the quarterback is there, they're going to be perfectly fine. There are another juicy storylines that can really sink my teeth into when I get into, or before I even get into this NFL preview. Seriously, you have two divisions out in the NFC that could be 8-9 and nine when it's all said and done to win a division. Or the AFC, as loaded as it is, pick the team that's going to make it to the postseason and pretty much roll the dice. And yes, we could go through certain other teams and what could possibly go wrong or the potential or what we could maybe even forecast. But to me, it's NFC is weak, AFC is loaded, and what the Jets are going to do based on them bringing in Rodgers, the specter of hard knocks, and all the hype, pomp, and circumstance heading into the season. Besides that, you got nothing. You want to say Buffalo to a certain extent, as I mentioned before? The Dolphins, if they can stay healthy, can the Chargers finally get rid of their snake bit ways? I mean, are those really storylines? We can talk about that every year for these teams. But let's get to it. AFC East, let's start there. I think Buffalo is still, when it's all said and done, the cream of the crop. I know the Jets are a close second. And I think the Jets are going to make it to the postseason. Could they have a big year? I think they could. I don't know if they're necessarily going to. They got to get rid of that black cloud. And I think for them to get off to a good start would certainly benefit. 
and think about this. Last year, what did they do? Get up to a 7-4 start and they lost their last six games. Now, I'm sure if you're a Jet fan, you're going to take 7-4. and four. You're not going to want to take what happened those last six games, obviously, coming into this year. But that schedule is daunting. And I think this first game for them is enormous. Because Buffalo can survive if they lose week one on the road. If the Bills go in there and let's say win a 31 backdoor cover 23 type game. And I don't even know what the spread is. I'm sure the Jets are probably favored by one or maybe Buffalo by one. Who knows? And that's not even a backdoor cover. But let's just say that it's a 31-23 type game. But the Jets were playing from behind pretty much from the start. Then that's not going to bode well. Because then like I mentioned... Go to Dallas, New England, who Belichick always has their number. And then Kansas City there, week four before going to Denver and then Philadelphia. And then I believe they have a bye and then they play the Giants after that. Which is a road game for the Jets. So the Dolphins and Patriots, I think the Dolphins could have a big year. It all depends on the quarterback, as we know. And you have to wonder about his health and if he's going to be able to stay upright. That is going to be crucial for the Dolphins to have any success. And I know Mike White is the backup who's had his moments there with the Jets, but are you really going to bank on that? And then the Patriots, I think they'll take a step with Mac Jones, even with Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, but I don't expect much. And yes, we could talk about Belichick's defense and what they're going to do and how they're going to throw so many wrinkles into their system and try to play from in front as much as they possibly can. To me, they're still lacking on offense. They don't have a ton of weapons. I can't see this team... Yes, are they going to be in some games? Will they have moments where they may get blown out throughout the course of the year? I could see that. But are they a playoff team? I don't think so. I think you could see three teams coming out of the AFC East when it's all said and done. But it all depends on Tua's health. The NFC North is loaded, as we know. I think the Bengals, even with Burrow out throughout the preseason and him being back and 100% ready to go, I think it's going to be between them and Baltimore. But I would think Cincinnati... We'll have the edge. To me, Baltimore, if they're going to have this passing game and open it up more for Lamar with Odell Beckham Jr. in the mix and the safety blanket that is Mark Andrews, the tight end, who knows? That could be a recipe for disaster considering that you may get some pressure throws for Jackson in tight windows where it could get tipped or worse, intercepted. Not only that, but the last two years, he hasn't been able to finish seasons due to his legs. And we all know that His legs are a huge part of his game. But whether he's going to stay in that pocket and make the big throw and take the big hit, that remains to be seen. But I think the Ravens could have a big year defensively. They're not the Ravens as we've seen of yesteryear, but I think they'll be in the playoff mix. And as far as the rest of that division, I'll talk about the Steelers and preview them. Should I do that now? I'm going to save that for the end, but I think the Steelers can have a big year. Do they make it to the postseason? I think they could be a fringe team. Cleveland, I need to see it. I need to see Deshaun Watson after all of the nonsense of the last 16 months or however long he's had to endure of the self-inflicted behavior with everything that happened off the field. And for the Browns, to me, they could be a team that could win 10 or 11 games or could win 7 or 8 games. That's how I look at it. And it's all going to be on the quarterback and how he does because the defense, even with Miles Garrett being a... Defensive player of the year candidate and him being a game wrecker as it is, but it can't be all on him or that defense. And not to say that defense is going to be lights out, but we don't we all know it's anchored by him. But it's going to be Deshaun and what he does as far as the Browns going to several places, hopefully for them, the postseason this year. So we'll have to wait and see on that. And right now I'd have to say I need to see a little bit more in order for me to believe. The AFC South. It's Jacksonville's division to lose. I don't see much out of Indianapolis because of the quarterback there, Anthony Richardson. The same goes for Houston with C.J. Stroud. And in Tennessee, it could be a long year because even with Ryan Tannehill there, and I understand Derrick Henry, he's going to have to take the brunt of the offense. And Tennessee, who has that lunch pail mentality, likes to play physical. But Tennessee, I don't know how much they're going to breathe any life into that division because Jacksonville, they're on the come up with the quarterback, the coach, to build off of what happened last year and even with that comeback win in Jacksonville against the Chargers, I would think that they're going to have, for them, a big year means 11-6. and 
and hosting another wild card game and let's see if they could push themselves to maybe winning a division game on the road and end up in an AFC title game come late January. And then the AFC West is the Chiefs and everybody else. The Chargers, until they get rid of that snake bit juju that's been pretty much throughout their existence, dating back to the days of Dan Fouts, Freezer Bowl in Cincinnati, and all the games that we could discuss that they haven't been able to get over the hump. And even with the quarterback, and even with a coach that right now has to be skating on thin ice, It's boom or bust for this team. And yes, although it'll be nice for them to be a threat in the AFC West, but I can't see it. And a defense that is aging, that has a lot of miles on it. Joey Bosa can never stay healthy. Same for Derwin James. Khalil Mack, what does he have left? I mean, that's what you have. You have name and stars on that defense, but can they stay healthy and deliver when it really counts? Vegas... Who knows what's going to happen with Josh McDaniels. I get it that Garoppolo is there. And if he can stay healthy, the Raiders will be good. But the big part of that sentence, if he can stay healthy. And we know about Garoppolo's health throughout the course of his career. And Denver, let's see if the Sean Payton-Russell Wilson marriage is one that could flourish and blossom. And people could say, well, Jay Reels, that's a storyline because of Payton and what he did in New Orleans, etc. But is Denver really going to be a threat? Is Denver going to be a team that when we get to weeks 14, 15, 16, and 17, they're going to say, wow, Denver, they definitely have a shot to not only make it to the postseason, but they're neck and neck with the Chiefs. Or I could see this team being a dark horse through the AFC to maybe get to a Super Bowl. Not this guy. As we move to the NFC, and this is probably going to be quick, the East, it's going to be Eagles, Cowboys, and then Giants and Commanders. The Eagles, although there's going to be some pressure on them because of what happened last year, the big regular season, the postseason that they literally blitzed through, and I get it, Brock Purdy was a big part of that championship game being out, what, in the first couple of plays on offense there in the NFC Championship game. But Jalen Hurts, to me, and maybe that's a bit of a storyline, can he duplicate or come close to what he did last year this year? Because for everybody that's thinking he's a top-five quarterback, and we'll give it to him coming into this season, but we have to see it again, and we know the offensive line is stacked, we know that they have weapons on offense, we know that they should be able to come close to duplicating what they did last year, but again, that isn't a guarantee that the Eagles are going to go 14-3 and or 15-2 and and be a one seed and have to go through Philadelphia to get to a Super Bowl, but I think they're going to have a big season, and I think that they're going to win a division, will they be a one seed? I don't think so. I think the Cowboys will also have a big year. I think Dak still with a lot to prove in a big game. A lot. And the game in Tampa on the road wasn't one that made me a believer. What you saw there in San Francisco against that defense, throwing two interceptions and not really being the elite quarterback that he should be, or I can't say should be, the elite quarterback that's needed for that team to get to heights that they haven't been in over a quarter of a century. But I think they're going to make it to the postseason. And could they make some noise? I think they could. The Giants, I think they'll have success. But I can't see them going far. And Washington with the makeover that they've had in the front office. And Sam Howell's your quarterback. And Ron Rivera, another guy that could be on the way out if he doesn't have a successful season. I think it's going to be a long one for Washington. The NFC North, I almost want to say that it could be the Lions division by default. Although I think Minnesota, even with their 13 wins last year and a lot of come from behind victories and I know Kirk Cousins is not the sexy pick and he'll have his moments where he'll do well against average to below average teams but when it's all said and done, money on the line, he's a guy you can't trust. But I'd almost have to say that the Lions may be the favorite. The Bears I don't believe in just yet with Justin Fields. Jordan Love, for all that has come out of Packer camp, I don't know if he's ready to take that next step. And although I think the Vikings and Lions could be in for a division brouhaha, and maybe the Vikings will prevail based on 
them being a little bit more together, although I know Goff and Campbell have been together for now, going into their third season, but maybe they could piggyback off of their season-ending success and that win at Lambeau to have a good start. Who knows about tonight? If they win tonight, that would be monumental for that franchise. But uh, I'm going to say the Lions, but I really do think that the Vikings, when it's all said and done, I wouldn't be shocked if they win the division. The NFC South, your guess is as good as mine. Maybe Carolina because they have a good defense. I know you have Bryce Young there. And Bryce Young, just hearing some of the stories coming out of camp, he's really been just otherworldly. Taking over a room when it comes to wanting to go through the offense in the quarterbacks and offensive coaches room where he, for two hours... Wax poetic about the offense, the terminology, etc., which blew the mind of the coaching staff, Frank Reich, Josh McCown, etc. So maybe, even with his size, but at least the Alabama pedigree, maybe they could do some big things down in Carolina and with a good defense. I don't believe in the Buccaneers. I think they're going to have a long year. Baker Mayfield, who has had his moments in the NFL, but... After the three years of Tom Brady and the euphoria of winning a Super Bowl and then making it into the playoffs the last two years, that's going to be just a lean year for the Bucks. The Saints, even with Derek Carr, but I don't trust the coach Dennis Allen. And with Alvin Kamara out the first three games due to a suspension, I can see them having a long year. And the Falcons, although they're building something there and it's going to be predicated on the run game, you're going to see old-style football there down in the ATL where it's going to be nothing but three yards in a cloud of dust. First round pick, Bijan Robinson, who could probably be your offensive rookie of the year. And Desmond Ritter, the quarterback out of Cincinnati a couple of years ago, he's going to be a game manager and not do much. And even in that division, maybe they can make some noise. But I don't expect them to go far, and Ritter's going to have to make some plays. This isn't going to be the Baltimore Ravens of a few years ago, where it's going to be... 40 carries, time of possession, dominant heavy, and for them to go along and steamroll through that division with 8, 9, or maybe even, dare I say, 10 wins. So your guess is as good as mine as to who comes out of the AFC South. Excuse me, the NFC South. And the NFC West, it's going to be the Niners, although I have a big question mark on Brock Purdy. And yes, we could talk about the sample size last year. And yes, it was a shame that he got hurt early because we wanted to see Brock Purdy in a big spot. We didn't see that in the regular season. We didn't see that in the postseason when Seattle went in there in the wildcard weekend. And yes, they did play well. And although Geno Smith fumbled there as the Seahawks were trying to go in to take the lead. And then from that point on, that's when the Niners took over and blew out the Seahawks there the latter part of that third quarter into the fourth. And then for Dallas, as we talked about, with Dak not playing well and the Niner defense really being stout and Purdy making plays, yes, he did. But we wanted to see him on that big stage, on the road, and to see how he would perform. We didn't see that. So now we're going to get to see Brock Purdy week one in a fascinating game in Pittsburgh against TJ Watt, Cameron Hayward, and company to see how he's going to perform there where the curtain's going to be raised on their season in Three Rivers. So, yes, that could be a storyline into itself, but we think that the Niners are going to have a big year anyway. And, yes, Seattle with Geno Smith, him losing 10 pounds, getting a better grasp of the offense, getting the bag as far as him getting a good contract and securing his spot there as a starting quarterback in the Pacific Northwest. I think Seattle's going to be a playoff team. As for the Rams and Cardinals, forget about it. They could end up being the two worst teams in the sport when it's all said and done. And that's saying a lot when you're looking at possibly the Colts, Texans, and whomever you want to even throw in Tampa, but they could end up being the least to worst when it's all said and done. So I got nothing really to add there. And what is it with Jonathan Gannon being secretive about who his starting quarterback is on Sunday? Seriously? It's not as if Kurt Warner from the Super Bowl year is going to come out of that locker room or Jim Hart to go back to the St. Louis Cardinals days or Neil Lomax. Or guys like that. Why is it on the wraps? We know it's going to be Josh Dobbs, the former Steeler backup. Or so we would think. Why is this all of a sudden, like top secret news is beyond me? What is he, Bill Belichick all of a sudden? 
So that just goes to show you where the Cardinals are going to be this year. All right, now let me get to my over-unders before I get to my knockout pick and who my Super Bowl pick is going to be. My over-unders, I take three overs, three unders, and I'll try to be as brief as possible. And I'm going to go back to the well with this one, but on the plus side. My three overs. Last year, I picked under nine and a half for Philadelphia, which was a joke because that was over by week 11, when you think about it. I'm going to pick them as an over this year. Now, I get it. It's going to be hard for them to even match what they've done last year to this year. But I think they're going to win 12 games. How could they not? They're going to play in a conference that, as we talked about, is very underwhelming. The division, all right, even if they split with the Cowboys, they probably sweep the Giants and maybe even split with Washington. So that means they're going to be 4-2 at worst. And you could piecemeal the rest of the other eight wins. But I think this team and Jalen Hurts, if you remember, after the Super Bowl, he talked about wanting to get back to that same spot next year and that he's going to have a lot of hunger and desire to get there. Well, we're going to see that. And let's see if he can back that up. But for the regular season, I think they're going to be fine unless they're decimated with injuries. And we know that defensive line is going to be stout as they drafted Jalen Carter to go with Fletcher Cox. And now Javon Hargrave, of course, is not there anymore. But still, that defense is going to be rock solid. So I'm going to pick them as an over this year, 11 and a half. And I know this is dangerous, but I'm going to stay in the division because when you take two, and this is going to be the theme here when it comes to these over-unders, when you take two teams out of the same division, one is going to have to beat the other. But again, this is the NFC. The Cowboys at 9.5, they're going to win 10 games. They won 12 last year. So why, even if they regressed and went 10-7, and seven, they're going to cover that number. If they were 10.5, I may have stayed away because we'd probably go into the final week of the season Wondering whether or not the Cowboys are going to eke out that 11th win for me to cover. But 9.5 when all they need is 10. And they had the same schedule pretty much. But a second place schedule for them. But the same division opponents as we know. And Dak, this is a big year for him. Big year for the organization as we know. To try to take that next step. To maybe get to an NFC title game. Which for them would be rarefied air. As I said, they haven't made it to the NFC title game since they won the Super Bowl. Back... In the 1995 season. So I think Dallas. With. All the expectations that they have year in year out. But I think. They're going to have a big year. And defensively. Of course with. Trayvon Diggs. And. Couple that with Stephon Gilmore. And we know how good Micah Parsons is. I think they're going to have a big year. They're going to win. Minimum 10. But I would think they're going to win 11 to 12. That's pick number two. And my third over. Based on the weak division, and they're also playing the NFC South, I'm going to pick Jacksonville. Now, they got to win 11, because their number is 10. So, in essence, they're 10 and a half. I'm going to say Jacksonville. The two games that they have in London, they play Atlanta, and a road game, quote-unquote, against Buffalo. So, that road game, which would have been in Orchard Park, in probably 40-degree weather, with 20-30 to mile-an-hour winds... The game is going to be played in London, which they're going to be in that town already for four or five days before Buffalo gets there. So they're going to be acclimated whether they lose to Atlanta or not. So you would think that that's going to be an advantage. But because they have 10 games, the six in their division, and the four games against the NFC South, they could easily win. And maybe this is a little bit too rich for their blood, but they can win six or seven of those games tops. So all you need to get is three of the final seven to just get to 10, but maybe just four of the final seven to get to 11. It's a bit of a dice roll, but then again, aren't all these picks a roll of the dice? I'm picking Jacksonville at 10. My unders, and this is where the divisions get dicey, but before I get to that, and I hate to say this, to the biggest Ram fan that I know, Chris Fitzsimmons, the Rams at six and a half, they're going to be an under by far. I think they may win four games this year. The Rams with Matthew Stafford and pretty much nobody else. Cooper Cup is already going to be on the shelf to start the year, so he doesn't have a security blanket. The Rams are going to have a long year. And remember, his wife came out on a podcast where she mentioned her husband, Matthew Stafford, didn't even know half the team when training camp commenced. It seems as if the Super Bowl team of less than two years ago, there's just a skeleton crew of who's left. Whether it be Cooper Cup or even Aaron Donald and a couple of other guys. 
So the Rams, I think they're going to be in for it. They have to play both Seattle and San Francisco four times. I get it. They have the Cardinals, which who knows? They may end up splitting against. And then pick your other six wins on top of that to get the seven. That's not going to happen. Rams under six and a half. And now as far as the division theme is concerned, I have to pick Atlanta as an under. They're eight and a half. That is a high number. They could go eight and nine. And they went eight and nine last year with Marcus Mariota, who I get it is nothing to write home about. But Desmond Ritter, is he going to be a guy that's going to push this team to nine wins? Their ground game, everybody's going to stack nine, ten in the box. Or so you would think. So I don't even believe that the Falcons are going to get to nine. I really don't. They could run roughshod through the division, etc. But they're going to have to make some plays in the air. And I don't know if Ritter's going to be capable of doing that. I'm glad that they're entrusting in him to be that game manager and a guy that's going to have to make some plays. But I can't see nine wins for this Falcon team. And the same could be said for the Saints. Even with Derek Carr as your quarterback, and Carr, as we know, is a little bit above average, and I'm not even talking about above average. We're talking about average on a scale of 1 to 10, and average is a 5. He's about, on his best day, he's a seven and a half. So, even with Michael Thomas, and without Alvin Kamara, but Thomas, we know the injuries that have plagued him over the last couple of years, and the Saints, that's a team, even with their head coach, Dennis Allen, who I do not trust or have any faith in. Nine and a half is their number? They're going to win 10 games this year? I don't see it. Yeah, they may be hovering around eight, nine, seven to nine. They're not winning 10. I'd be shocked. That's why I think Carolina could be a team that could win a division at nine and eight. And I think whether it's that division or even the NFC North, the first to get to nine is going to win a division. And if that's the case, even if the Saints win a division at nine and eight, guess what? That's not 10. And that's what they're going to have to do in order to cover that number. That's why I'm picking them as an under. And I get it that they're going to play each other and it's dangerous and the division stinks, but those teams are not going to light the world on fire based on the quarterback in Atlanta and the coach and the lack of threats there on offense and even the health of their wide receiver, who Michael Thomas was an all-pro wide out years ago, I don't see it. So those are my over-under numbers for this year. And again, rolling the dice, three overs, three unders. I'll recap. My overs, Philly 11.5, Dallas 9.5, Jacksonville 10. My unders, the Rams 6.5, Atlanta 8.5, New Orleans 9.5. My knockout pick this week, although I killed them a few minutes ago, talking about their coach needs to... Really show and prove with the new ownership and a young quarterback and the one Sam Howell. But the Cardinals are going to come east to play the Commanders. And I think they'll get a W to start off this year. And remember, with the knockout pick, it's only to win. No point spread. None of it. And I'm not going to pick a team that I think that I'm going to have to use later on. Because that's the thing about this knockout pool. You could only use one team one time this year. You cannot repeat. So when I looked at the schedule, I said, I'm going to pick... Washington because I don't have to pick them again if they win and then from there I'll see where I'll go as far as week two if I even get past week one and before I get to my Super Bowl pick yes let me talk about the Steelers my beloved Pittsburgh Steelers this is going to be the key for them to have any success this year one is we all know the offensive line which they had to rebuild here on the fly over the last couple of years and now there's been some cohesiveness and togetherness so let's see if they're going to be able to open up some holes for one Najee Harris so he can have a big year offensively and also to protect Kenny Pickett, who I think could have a big year, but it's all going to depend on, of course, his health, but you could say that for any quarterback. But he had taken a couple of hits last year where he had to sit out. And Pickett, he's what, 6'3", about 220? He's not Ben Roethlisberger. He's not 6'5", 240. He is not indestructible as we see with a guy like, let's say, Josh Allen. Or even a guy like Joe Burrow, who is about 6'4", 230, around there, but could take a hit, could take some punishment. Pickett, and I get it, he's still learning the position and not necessarily still growing, but he's going to have to learn to throw that ball away and not take the big hit because he's not a guy that's going to stand in the pocket and take that vicious hit and just get right back up, as we've seen for almost two decades with number seven in black and gold. 
Now, it's interesting about this defense because this is a defense that's old. Or I will say has age on it. When you look at Patrick Peterson, when you look at Elandon Roberts, when you look at Quan Alexander, when you look at Cameron Hayward, even TJ Watt, now he's going into his, what, seventh year? So he's getting up there, what is he, I believe 28, 29 years of age, about to hit 30. They have some hair on their skin. So you could get an injury that could upset this whole apple cart. And the defense is not going to be your uncle or your daddy's steal of defense. But you would think with the savviness, even some veteran leadership and know-how, if they stay healthy, maybe they can do some damage. But with this team being young on the offensive side and they have their weapons, they have the running back, George Pickens could have a breakout year. The tight end is very good, and Pat Fryermuth, they could have a big year. And I think they'll make it to the postseason as a six or seven seed. Could they get out of the wild card round? That's going to be tough because they're going to have to go up against either a Buffalo, Kansas City, or Cincinnati in the process if they're a six or seven seed. They'd be better off as a five seed to go up against Jacksonville and may have a shot to beat them. But even that could be tricky because that means you're going to have Kenny Pickett as your starting quarterback in his first ever playoff game. But I think the Steelers have a big year. I think they'll make it to the postseason. I don't see them getting out of a wild card round. But I think it'll be a big building year for them. As they try to see what they could do under year two with their quarterback number eight. And my Super Bowl pick. It's going to be the old Swami, Chris Berman. As he said so many years ago on NFL Primetime, he picked them, I think, like five, six, seven years in a row. I'm picking Buffalo and San Francisco, and I'm going to pick the Bills to win a Super Bowl. You heard it here first. My 2023 NFL preview in the books. And quickly, let's go through the schedule. Obviously, we know the game tonight. Your interesting week one matchups. I love San Francisco at Pittsburgh. The diehard Steeler fan that I am, of course, I'm going to go back 30 years ago where the Steelers opened up against the Niners at Three Rivers. And although they hung tough, but they weren't able to beat the 49ers in that week one matchup. Rod Woodson had two interceptions. One was acrobatic over Jerry Rice. And that's for the Steeler fan. I understand people are going to say, Jay Reels, nobody cares. And I get it. So I'll stop there. But that is a fascinating week one game. And I'm talking about not the Sunday night game, Dallas Giants, which I'm sick and tired of. The Monday night game, obviously, is going to have a lot of drama, so we would think. As the 425 game, Eagles-Patriots, that's not a sexy game in my books. I can see the Eagles just steamrolling through the Patriots. Maybe the Patriots will hang for a half, but I would think when it's all said and done, no matter how many tricks Belichick has up his sleeve, I would think that they're going to prevail and win a 28-16 type game. But you also have... Cincinnati at Cleveland, which is going to be an interesting test for the Browns in their building to start their year and to see how Burrow's going to respond to that calf injury. Other than that, your 1 o'clock window, please. Houston, Baltimore. Carolina, Atlanta. Jacksonville, Indianapolis. Tampa, Minnesota. Tennessee, New Orleans. Avert your eyes. And your 425 games, Green Bay, Chicago. Eh, we get to see Justin Fields and Jordan Love, how they're going to start off their years. There in the Windy City. Las Vegas, Denver. Eh. Chargers and Dolphins at SoFi. All right, I'll give you that. Rams and Seahawks. Dallas Giants, we've seen that movie a zillion times in primetime. And then Buffalo, New York is your week one. Now to the college football. You had Clemson, who were a no-show Monday night against Duke. Just an absolutely pathetic performance. And Kane Klubnik, who was on the front page of the ESPN website to see whether or not that the Tigers are going to have a big year and maybe even be a part of the playoff mix, that's not going to happen. And I understand the ACC is one that aren't world beaters, even though they're going to play Florida State in three weeks. And that's going to be a huge game for Clemson if they have any chance. And I don't think they're going to have any shot to make it to the college football playoff, but You can forget about that loss against Duke. And I get it, Duke went away late. But they weren't able to muster up but a touchdown in that game. And it's not as if Duke is anything close to their basketball ilk. This is the football team. 
And I understand it was on the road, and I understand anything could happen for an underdog to beat a top-seeded team in Clemson, in which they were at 9 at the start of the night there on Monday, but that was just inexcusable. And Dabo Sweeney, he still probably hasn't slept since that game, as he talked about in the postgame. The weirdest game he's been a part of, still hasn't figured it out, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's the type of game Clemson had, and it looks like if that's going to be a precursor to what their season's going to look like, whew, it is going to be a long one there for Dabo and the Tigers. And as far as your schedule this week, now quickly, I didn't talk about this on the podcast there on Monday, and it's my bad, but briefly, to have Stanford, Cal, and to a lesser degree, SMU be a part of the ACC next year, they might as well call it the AWCC. You're going to have Stanford and Cal fly cross-country to play the Clemsons, the Florida States, the North Carolinas of the world? I mean, seriously? And I get it. All these teams are jumping conferences. They want to be a part of the money. They want to be a part of just being in a big conference. The Pac-12 is imploding and is sinking to the bottom of the ocean as we speak. But seriously? To me, that's a joke. I understand they can't go to the Big Ten because the Big Ten is going to be the Big 20 when it's all said and done. The ACC, we're more than happy to have them come on board. But really? I mean, that's all I got to say about that. But your week two matchups here in college football will start with the Thursday night game, which is going to get overshadowed by the NFL game, as we know. And as it is, that ESPN game, which usually comes on, is going to be foregone this week because of the opener in Kansas City. But your games of note, as I take a look here, 12 o'clock window, Notre Dame at NC State. Am I going to get crazy about that? Utah at Baylor. Your 3.30 window, Texas A&M at Miami. Ole Miss at Tulane. And Tulane's ranked in the top 25, I might add. They're 24th in the nation. Yeah, you do not have a slate of college football games that you could really go crazy about. Oh, excuse me. Texas and Alabama. How can I forget that? That's your 7 p.m. ESPN game. That's a game of note. And you know there's usually one game that's going to be in primetime. I forgot it was that one. So my apologies there. But that is your highlight. Other than that, you got nothing. You really don't. You're not going to get into Stanford, USC. You're not going to get into Grambling at LSU as they try to bounce back from that loss to Florida State. Other than Texas and Alabama, let's see what Texas is going to do here as they got to go to Tuscaloosa. And remember, Alabama was lucky to get out of Texas last year alive, College Station, to a 20-19 victory. And a lot of people, they thought they should have lost where Bryce Young was sacked in the end zone. And that wasn't. I remember watching that live. That was not a safety by any stretch. But still, they were a missed field goal away from winning that game and they blew it. But that is your highlight game of the week there in college football. And we'll recap that all on Monday, of course. Let me quickly get to the baseball because the news and notes that you got here, starting with Julio Urias, or Urias, however you pronounce his last name, I'm going to say Urias just for the hell of it, arrested again for a domestic violence charge late Sunday night. I believe they went to a soccer match, and I don't know if this happened in broad daylight in front of people, who knows, but Urias, second time that he's been charged with a domestic incident. He also had another one, I believe it was in 2019, if I'm not mistaken. But you can forget about him pitching the rest of the year and maybe even the Dodgers postseason hopes on top of that. And it's not as if he was having a killer year like last year when I believe he was 20-3 and three and was in the top three for Cy Young. But talk about throwing your whole career away at 27 years of age, going into a walk year where even with him posting a 4-4 ERA and not a great stat line across the board, he's still going to get paid if he didn't have this incident that took place there Sunday night. Because he's a starting pitcher, and more importantly, he's left-handed. You can't get a left-handed good starting pitcher there in baseball. Very hard to find. And for him to just really throw his career in the toilet, I don't know who's going to take on, even if they paid him minimum wage. Nobody's going to want to have the PR disaster that would be if they go ahead and sign Urias on the dotted line this coming offseason. So you could pretty much, for all intents and purposes, kiss his career goodbye. Because to have a second one on your ledger and have to deal with that, 
He's already on administrative leave, which is going to get paid, but he's not going to play. You're not going to see him in October. And therefore, the Dodgers, their chances, and we already know their pitching is thin to begin with. Bobby Miller may be your number two starter when it's all said and done. And a guy who just came onto the scene this year, although he is a guy that could be in the rotation, if healthy, for the next 10 to 12 years. But Walker Bueller, you haven't heard any progress with him as far as his Tommy John surgery. We know Clayton Kershaw is going to be your main starter there. Tony Gonsolin, do you trust a thousand percent or even 75%? I wouldn't if I'm a Dodger fan. So it looks like they could be in for a rough one after a very good regular season and they're going to have a two seed and they could have their pitching all set up for the division series. But we saw how that happened last year when they got ambushed by the Padres. And even if they get past the division series, guess who's going to be waiting for them on the other end? A team that beat them three out of four this past weekend in the Atlanta Braves. So if you ask me, it does not look well for the Dodgers now and the rest of the way. And then the Rangers, you talk about a free fall, boy. I don't know what else to say when you had a team that was in first place throughout the whole year and then they just literally have collapsed right in front of our eyes. The Astros go into Globe Life Park Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and literally blitz them out of the diamond. And then yesterday, where they absolutely, positively had to have it, after losing the first two games of the series, guess who was standing on the pitching mound to see if they could salvage that game, get some respect, and hopefully maybe even get a boost Now for the rest of the season to see if they could, of course, stay in this wild card slash division race, but to resuscitate and breathe life into that team when they desperately needed it. Max Scherzer was on the mound, and his opposition was Justin Verlander. Who would have thought about that, Met fans, about five weeks ago? But here it was, the biggest game of the Texas Rangers year. Needed it, absolutely had to have it. What did Scherzer do? Three innings, seven runs, six hits, two walks, four strikeouts. Nowhere to be found. Imploded on the mound. I don't know if he was booed off the mound, but that's what you got from a guy who was supposed to be your hired gun, your mercenary, the guy that was brought there to win that type of game. And what did he do? Spit the bit. Nothing more else to add. And right now, Texas, they are literally gasping for air. In the division, they're already two in the loss, but three back. The Astros have overtaken the division. Although the Mariners have two games in hand, the Astros are 80 and 61. The Mariners, 78 and 61. Rangers are now 76 and 63. And talk about over under numbers. Their number was 81 and a half. I hope that this continues. Because they're going to win six more games between now and October 1st. I get that. But boy, wouldn't that be something if they win five games the rest of the way and I end up winning that over-under win total? That'd be something. But now, as far as the wild card goes for the Rangers, we talked about them in the division. They are on the outside looking in. So just when you thought that everything was going to be hunky-dory and that they were going to make the postseason regardless. Now, granted... They have a game in hand against the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays are a half game ahead of them and the Blue Jays are certainly not world beaters either. So a lot could happen between now and the end of the year but Texas right now they are searching for a life raft and taking in water big time and just trying to get their heads above water as they just try to get to the edge or get to the shore to see if they could end up being one of the six teams in the AL to qualify for the postseason. Other than that, there isn't much to get into with baseball. I know Giancarlo Stanton got his 400 home run the other night. Congratulations to him. And he's probably going to get to 500 when it's all said and done, which makes you think, if he gets to 500, is he a lock for the Hall of Fame? He has an MVP on his mantle. He is going to get to 500. His batting average is what? Lifetime 260? Between 260 and 270? He's going to have, probably when it's all said and done, 1,500 RBIs. Now, it's way too early. Let's let his career play out. But usually that barometer, 500, is an automatic. If you're not a steroid guy, i.e. Rafael Pomero and allegedly Gary Sheffield. But 
you would think, even with him being out of the lineup, mostly throughout the course of these last few years, and still has, I believe, what, five more years left on his contract? Four, five, six, yes, four more years, I believe. Even if he averages 25 home runs the next four years, he's getting a 500. So, congratulations to him. And that's all you have there with baseball. The wild card day in the National League is still topsy-turvy. Give it up to the Marlins. They won the two games against the Dodgers as they go for a sweep here on, or later this afternoon or this evening. I think it's a night game between the Dodgers and Marlins. So, the Marlins continue to play well. And you got to give them credit, as I talked about there on Monday. They certainly could have folded and just packed it up for 2023, but they did not do so. We know the Reds, the Diamondbacks, they're all in the mix. The Giants are falling apart, as we know. So we'll keep an eye on that. We'll recap that more on Monday to see where these teams stand. But we know the logjam there, not only in the AOS, but also in the NL wildcard. And to take a look at the schedule upcoming for the weekend, you have Seattle going to Tampa Bay for four games, and that's big because of the race there, Astros, Rangers as well. Astros and Rangers are not playing today, but we'll take a look. Astros host the Padres while the Rangers will host Oakland. So that's hopefully for them a reprieve. Let's see if they can do some damage and get themselves back in the mix here over the weekend. So that's one we'll keep an eye on. Baltimore's at Boston as Boston tries to hang on to whatever hopes they have in the AL wildcard. And Tampa, three and a half behind the Orioles in the division. And I'll double check that in a second. That's what you have there. Miami and Philadelphia to start your weekend. That's a big series. Milwaukee comes to New York to play the Yankees. Milwaukee, of course, in that race in the Central with the Reds, who are at home against the Cardinals, so maybe they could take advantage of a week schedule here this weekend. The Diamondbacks go to Chicago, so that's a big series between two teams that are battling it out, although Chicago's in good stead, currently at the five seed in the NL wildcard. San Francisco, they'll be hosting Colorado. So let's see. You have these teams that right now are playing desperate and need to win every game. Colorado going into San Francisco. Oakland going into Texas. St. Louis going into Cincinnati as we take a look and recap the standings before we wrap it up with the U.S. Open. With the wild card, yes, three and a half with four in the loss. Baltimore over Tampa. Toronto, I got to see who they play this week. I didn't talk about them. Cubs, who have a good lead there. Marlins, a half game ahead of both Arizona and Cincinnati. San Francisco, who have lost six in a row now. They've really fallen off a cliff. And let's see where they go. As far as the weekend, Colorado, let's see if they can continue to hang in there. And Toronto, they will have the Royals starting tomorrow. And lastly, with the U.S. Open, it is set as far as your semifinals are concerned. The men's side will have Carlos Alcaraz going up against Daniil Medvedev and Novak Djokovic going up against the upstart, Ben Shelton, the 20-year-old. Now, you would think that Medvedev may give Alcaraz a little bit of a run for his money. Remember, Medvedev won this tournament two years ago when he thwarted the calendar Grand Slam for one Novak Djokovic at that time. So maybe there's an advantage for Djokovic to maybe win in straight sets or in four sets where Medvedev could take Alcaraz to the brink. That may bode well for Djokovic come Sunday when they meet up in the final, if that's going to be destined. So just keep in mind as we look into the semifinals to see how that's going to unfold as we get to the latter part of this tournament and will conclude on Sunday for the men's. As for the women's side, you have Madison Keys going up against Arena Sabalenka, the number two seed. That's going to be interesting for Keys as he tries to get to a Grand Slam final and that's going to be imperative to see whether or not she's able to take that next step. And then you have Coco Goff, which I said on Monday, this is her tournament to lose. She's going up against Carolina Machova, an opponent ranked 10th in the world. I would think that Goff should be able to get past her. And then you have either her and Sabalenka or her and Madison Keys. I'm sure if you ask her, she'd probably rather play Keys than Sabalenka. But you would still think Goff, 19 years of age, everything I said on Monday, it's all right in front of her. She didn't have to face Iga Swiatek as she beat Jelena Ostapenko there yesterday. And I know Ostapenko griped a little bit having to play her match at night and a quicker turnaround for her as opposed to Coco Goff. All right, you could say that, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. What more can be said about that? Unfortunately for Ostapenko, she wasn't able to get past Coco Goff to put herself in the semifinals, but it's all in front of Coco Goff. And I don't have the pom-poms for her. It's not as if I'm a supporter or a fan. I would just like to see her get to a final and win. 
I think it'd be good for the sport. Madison Keys is not an unknown to the tennis fan, but golf, you know who Coco Golf is. A lot of people don't know who Madison Keys is. And even if Keys does win a US Open, God bless her. That'd be fine. But let's see what golf could do as we'll recap that all Monday on the next podcast. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. NFL is here, college football, all the sports have now converged. Basketball and hockey forthcoming. Glad you stopped by. Thank you so much for listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Carving a few precious moments. You know it's never, ever taken for granted. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. Increase the visibility. You know the drill. If you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, question, comment, suggestion, YouTube, at JReels, where I post daily, so you definitely want to peep that. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast. JReels1, the number, on Twitter or X. In the old-fashioned way, the JReels Podcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. As I like to say, sports is in every fiber of my being with nothing but passion, fire, fury, energy to discuss my thoughts, feelings, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, hockey gun, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J-Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. I know, in rapid-fire fashion, but that's how it is, and that's how it goes. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J-Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>